94 episodes in, and I still haven't had the base consideration to move the mouse a little bit closer. <laughs> that way I don't have to get up to start and stop the recordings. No, but I really love how... Of a gentleman's chat with your hosts, Billy and Ian. 94 episodes, a little over three years now, and Ian is absolutely... He just did it now. He's, he's absolutely insistent that the mouse that he uses to start the recording must be at the far side of the room. Yep. Yeah. This is good. I don't know why. It's a wireless mouse. Why have we not done something about this? I could just move it right next to me. I feel like every week we come up with new little tidbits of... of efficiency things that we could do and never implement them of course not see the problem is with a workspace this small we don't have that many people if we start bumping up the efficiency bit by bit pretty soon we're not gonna have anything to fix and then if you have nowhere to go because you're already at the pinnacle then it's all downhill we don't want that you're right it's like hulk hogan in the 80s you know once you peak you're like i don't know what to do with myself now exactly so you go off and do movies yeah. Or, you know, bang hot women or whatever he was into. I don't know. That's that's one of the bad parts about being famous. That's right. Because once you're famous, you're at like the pinnacle, what's left of your life that you literally can't get more rich or more famous or anything once you're there. So yeah. then, then you have to look forward. It's like, okay, well, I can ride this out as long as I can, but eventually I'm going to get worse. Yeah. I think athletes probably really struggle with that yep. more than like actors and actresses. You can still be really good. In fact, the older you get, someone say the better you get, right? In in some cases. Yeah. Um, but I would reckon that athletes really struggle with that, you know, because physically speaking, by the time you're 24, 25, that's the best you're going to get. Yep. So you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And then depending on the sport, once you're 35, you're going to start heading out. Yeah. You're If you're not already out, you're yep. going to be asked to leave. And then you're going to be one of those color commentator guys on ESPN that talks about, you know, talks trash on the new generation because back when I did it, you're going to be one of those guys. Is it LeBron or Kobe? I don't actually Kobe's follow. Kobe's dead, so I it don't, can't be him. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, probably LeBron then. I don't follow NBA very closely. But I know people are really harking on one of the most famous players of our generation where they're getting really old. And I looked, and I think they're like 46 and still playing, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking really old for more sports that I do follow, like if you're a football player and you're 46, you're not playing. <laughs> you're not playing. No, you're not playing. I was thinking, uh, what's another sport? Oh, um, motorcycle racing, motocross, motocross. supercross. Yeah. You know, those are people that are like when they're 35 and they're like, oh my goodness, this guy sold. There was a guy, Chad Reed, he was an Australian. And when he was like 35 years old. They were like, look at this dinosaur riding around the track. You know, like he is he was a two time world champion back in his day. It's like his day is he's still yeah, right. he's not dead. Especially in the modern era. It's like thirty five. You retire at thirty five. You have still the vast majority of your life left. That's gotta be the hardest part. Yeah. That transition. And there are some guys that are good at it. like there's a, so I follow motocross quite a bit. And it's funny because one of the former champions, James Stewart, he was known as like the fastest guy on the planet. He did things on a bike nobody else could even dream of doing. But he was always wide open. Always. Mm-hmm. He was If he was in the lead, he wanted to lead by as much as he could. So oftentimes he would end up crashing because he was just going that fast. Yep. 
And it was funny because the minute he retired or was forced into retirement because he got caught on some trumped up like PED charges that he had, they, they just made up. Yeah. Literally, they made up. The AMA, American Motorcycle Association, if you hear this, you are a bunch of pricks. They just made up some things about this guy. And uh, so he was you know, like, well, I guess I'm retired now. And he, he goes up into the booth. You know, as you do once yep. you're retired. So now he calls color commentary, but he's not in the sport anymore. So he says all sorts of wild stuff about people. Because the minute he retired is the minute he stopped caring about motorcycle racing. Yep. He's never thrown his leg over a bike, doesn't go for a pedal bike ride, does not give a flying one. He cannot be bothered. Yeah. And I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. Just yep. completely pivot. Yeah. He's made millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off of this thing. And now that it's over, hey, you know, I'm going to take my millions in golf. I would 100% do that, regardless of the thing. If I, even if I'm like a stockbroker or something that has nothing to do with that and I make millions, I'm like, cool, bye. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was talking to a fellow the other day. He's actually a, a publisher of mine, publishes some of my works. And I was having a conversation with him. And I guess his original, like, original job as it were like the career that he was in was like insurance linguistics sales which is some really heady intellectual stuff yeah but he also did like band composition on the side started a publishing company and now that he's you know retired he put this is what he does for a living he sits down in his basement you know and he, he runs a company a rather successful one and i was like you know what that's a wild pivot oh yeah Wild pivot. But hey, you know what? God bless you, buddy. Go you. <laughs> if you had to do like a job pivot or like a profession pivot tomorrow, just out of the blue, what is the most hard pivot you could think you're Easy. Think of yourself I would doing? become a spokesperson for men's health. <laughs> Dude. I the would. magazine or just like men's health? Generally, generally. speaking, okay. I'd go around, I'd give free talks in communities. We talked last week about people, you know, men making mysterious noises in the bathroom. Yep. Dude, we all have an epidemic of men not knowing how to use any of their facilities. It is an epidemic. I was in the bathroom again two days ago. <laughs> and the fella next to me has no idea how that fire hose works. He is just, he's got a pressure valve problem or something's going on there because... He, he needs lessons. He needs training. He, need, he needs something because it's not the way it's supposed to go. It's just not. There is an epidemic in this country of men that have no idea how to use what they're, what has God has given them. Gotcha. So I would pivot immediately. It's a pretty good mission in life. To making public bathrooms much, much less terrifying. Fair. They are terrifying. Oh, or here I could also pivot to this. Literally on my way here today, I saw a car on the side of it that said high speed internet and it had like a company logo, but it was a cop car. It was an undercover cop car. It had the light on it and it had the state plates on the back. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious, these cops are getting really crafty. And it reminded me of the TV show and maybe you didn't watch it. In fact, I know you didn't watch it. I think it was <laughs> called like busted or something i don't even remember it was like an mtv show and it was basically what it was is this police department made in the early 2000s mind you made an undercover cop car basically it was like a a regular car that they wired up and they'd put it in really bad neighborhoods where carjackings were prevalent and they would 
let somebody steal the car. Obviously, there's a tracker in it. So the cops would go follow him, and they had a kill switch on the inside. So a guy at his, you know, little remote station back at the precinct would press the, you know, the kill switch. The car would die. The cops would be mysteriously right behind them and arrest the people. This was a terrific TV show. I loved watching this. Uh, but eventually, what happened is the muggers began to begin, you know, they got hip about it. Oh, there's a white sedan over on 4th Street. I know the one. It's the same one that got Jimmy, Bobby, and the clan yep. busted, right? So they took the car off the street. And actually, it was funny because the, the first episode of this new season, um, it would show people walking up to the car and waving at the hidden cameras because they're like, I know exactly what this is. <laughs> so the cops took this car away and they gave it like a whole new paint job. They picked a brand new car model. Yep. Did the same thing and went on with a whole another seven seasons of doing the exact same thing. However... When I saw this cop car today, it reminded me that these cops are getting crafty. No longer is it, you know, Joe who's trying to, you know, make sure that the the rule of law is enforced. These are cops that are trying to get you. Oh, yeah. They're trying to get you banging your wife at night. They're looking in the window. That's what these people are doing. Okay? They're like, hmm, how can I ticket that and make some money? How can I make some money? That's exactly yeah. right. It's like driving through Rosendale, Wisconsin. All they're interested in. Is making money. Yeah, for all of those people who do not live in northern Wisconsin, this is a very particular point we get. Listen, I think everybody has a Rosendale, Wisconsin in their community, though. That is true. A place where the cops are so abhorrent, where you're doing 26 and a 25, and they're going to pull you over and ticket you. Yeah. Yeah. It is notorious for that. Yeah. Well, that's because only cops are in Rosendale. Right. And There is one gas station, and that is Rosendale. And they're like... 20 cops who patrol it. Yeah, and what they're trying to do is make that money. And yeah. these cops right now, that guy driving that fake high-speed internet mobile, what he's really trying to do, he's trying to get that money. He's trying to frame me for a crime I may or may not have committed. I hate how no matter what, they can actually get money off you based on how it works. Because they can pull you over and give you a ticket for anything, warranted or not. Mm-hmm. And then... You get a court date, and you have to waste your time and actual money taking a day off of work and whatnot to go argue your case that you may or may not win. Yeah, and they always put it in the mornings, too. Yeah. It's and never you, at a convenient exactly. time. It's like, oh, let's see. When do you work? Let's do 10 a.m. <laughs> I go. Yeah, thanks. That's the perfect time I can't avoid. Yes. And then you go, and even if you win, you're still out money because you have to pay for the year. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. You, you have to the, pay for the court dues. Yeah, you pay the $200 for the ticket or you pay the $175 for the court fees. Exactly. And you know, and, and the day <laughs> off of work that you're not making any money. Just to go in and say, "Well, here judge, here's the traffic cam full footage of me not doing anything wrong." And the cop looked at me and said, "Hmm. I don't really like how you look. Here's a ticket." Yes. Like, "Okay, don't worry, you don't have to pay it. Here's the equivalent court dues you have to pay." It's like, "Oh, that's nice. I love that. I've only been... So I've never actually myself been pulled over, but I've been privy to other people being yep. pulled over, right? I've been in the vehicle. And I, I love how cops, they always... Like, so this is the tickets why I wrote you up for. Uh, you're welcome to appeal it. You got seven days. They circle the little thing at the bottom. Yep. Like a like a cashier at Walgreens circling the rewards account. Or, you know, I don't know if Costco does it, but that's... Uh, Sam's Club does that. When you leave, they scan a couple things and have to... Ch- Check your receipt, and then they always circle the barcode and like draw a smiley face. Yeah, like, hey, fill out this survey for a chance to win $100. Yep. Like, well, I'm never doing that, Jeff. 
Never ever. Also, I love the people at Sam's Club to check your receipts. Yeah. I used to, I so I used to go there every once in a while, and I would buy Folgers coffee by the pallet. Yep. For uh, a company, right? So we would go there. I mean, quarterly, and we would just buy pallets and pallets of Folgers coffee, and we'd be rocking up out of the store with a pallet mover. Mm-hmm. And Jeff over there, who's sitting in his chair all day long, yep. is like, hang on a minute. He gets up. He has to search for his walker because, of course, it's never sitting nearby. Sally moved it for him. So now he's hobbling over. Wow, what you think you're doing here? What the hell does it look like I'm doing, Jeff? I bought a whole bunch of freaking coffee. You watch me do it. Wow, let me take a look at that. And then if he's really a dum-dum, he'll start counting the coffee. Like it, like it, somehow I made yeah. the mistake by loading the pallets. The, oh, let me get a look at this here. For some reason in my head, Jeff is 95 years Oh, let me look at this. Sam's Club does tend to, it's kind of like the Walmart greeter effect where they do try to pick people who can't really do other jobs. Yeah, so I, I prefer the Walmart greeters though. At least they're friendly. You know, yeah. hey, you know, I'm so glad to see you, Roy. Like, you know, I hope the, you know, hope things are going well for you. Sometimes I'll ask you, do you know what you're looking for? And listen, if I don't, or if I, particularly if I'm out of state and I'm at a new Walmart, mm. like, hey, Jeff, could you point me to your electronics section? Or could you yeah. point me to where I could find some rubber bins or so, you know, plastic yeah. totes? That's fantastic. However, the Jeff at Costco has literally no life skills. He was probably a heroin addict 15 years ago, maybe less. He's got nothing going for him except pestering me while I'm trying to leave with my $700 of Folgers coffee. And then sometimes he doesn't even have a pen that works on him. He tries to circle it. He dents my receipt. Now I got to bring that up to management. Like, hey, I know you can't really see the total. Apparently Jeff's a bit of a – he's got the shakes from the heroin still. Jeff hurt you. Jeff, Jeff, if you're, if you're listening to this, piss on you, buddy. All I all I know about Jeff now is that dude's a trooper. If 15 years ago he was a heroin addict at the latest, and he's 94, that means that's Dude. 79 years old. This guy's a heroin addict, Listen. and he's still alive. Dude, Jeff lived a wild life. Him and Hulk Hogan I ran could in not the same imagine, circles. Could you imagine? Because heroin addicts. You don't start at 79. No, no, you don't. That means this guy's been even a respectable 20. (laughs) That means for 59 years he's been a heroin addict. Kicked it after that and lived through all of it. He's been microdosing, man. You know, it's like like people microdose shrooms now. That's not how that works. That's exactly how it works. You You just take a little of it. Yeah, over the course of 59 years? Yeah. Yeah, he's, listen... That's not how heroin works. You're going to have to progressively get more and more over 59 years. Yeah, I actually, I saw a This 79-year-old has taken two liters of heroin. Listen, he's microdosed a little every day and he hasn't gotten any more. He just, he just, he's a man of dosage. 15 mils every morning gets Uh him by. It's not like those people you see on Dr. Phil where they're actively doing opium you know, in front of Dr. Phil's cameras. This is always the thing that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. If it's a guy that beats on a girl... Or if it's someone that has a really weird or intense drug habit, the promo cut away. Well, my two daughters are addicted to heroin and I don't know what to do. Cut to the daughters in their bedroom. Yep. They've got the rocks out and a freaking spoon and a lighter. And for some reason, in their demented mind, they're like, oh, no, this is a great idea. Dr. Phil has brought his film crew here to watch yep. us do illegal substances. I also... Because I'm so skeptical of Hollywood, I wonder how much of that is 
okay, well, we know they're trying to stop, but we do need the shot to show it for our ratings. So we're going to bring them in a little heroin and set this up. I can see Dr. Phil walking up. All right there, little Sally. Now, mom's going to be on this show in a week, and we really need some good shots. So here's this. Here's your spoon. Here's a lighter. We took the Bic label off, so we have to pay licensing fees. (laughs) And don't worry. We know this is traumatic for you, so we got you the good stuff. Oh, jeez. I do wonder about that. Okay, so I watched... I don't know why I'm going down this tangent right now, but here we go, folks. Buckle in. I I watched one. It was a person that was addicted to hand sanitizer. Like they would snort it or they drink it. They drink hand sanitizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're they, still alive. They well, at the time of this, they were, <laughs> and they were sort of like, "Hey, I need help with my." It's like a my strange addiction type episode, right? And um, and I remember their parents were like enablers of mm-hmm. this addiction, always, which blew my mind i remember this person was like three days without a drink at all and what they would do is if they didn't have hand sanitizer they would get just straight up vodka and drink it because it's you know alcohol to be fair that's probably better than hand sanitizer it totally is but they bought a bottle of it and they got back to the car and they were like shaking in the car from withdrawals and the mom leaned over with this bottle of hand sanitizer hey you want a little squirt Dude, it blew my mind because not only did I watch this, I watched this paradoxical conversation of this person like, no, mom, you know I'm not supposed to be doing that. And they had like sitting in the cup holder in the the center console like, you know I'm not supposed to be doing that. Meanwhile, open intoxicant in the car, this bottle of vodka they bought while they're sipping that down to calm the shakes. And I was like, what is happening here? Mom's the dealer. Dude, mom is off her rock. Mom is the reason why this addiction started. Oh, yeah, 100%. Totally blame, totally blame her. I could see a lot of... That's like the stereotypical um, over... Not caring, but over... Like it, a it, hawk mom who they always start the addiction because they're like, oh, little Timmy loves this, so we're just going to keep giving it to him. You know it's bad for him. Yeah, but I can't let him be sad. Yes. Yes. It's like, what do you, he's drinking hand sanitizer. What do you mean you can't let him be sad? Right. I, you know, and listen, I guess I don't have the perspective of having one of those things that are like my strange addictions. Like I don't go home and eat my sofa or have yeah. sex with my car or, you know, whatever the, the other big ones are. There's all, those are the ones we've all heard of. Right? Yeah. And even the ones we haven't, you know, eating my earwax or whatever it is. I'm not into all of that. However, I can't imagine a world. Where I'm like, hey, mom and dad, you know what I'm really into? And would you be willing to enable me in this thing? Like, I I just, I don't understand how that would happen. No, because especially addictions often are not normal. So you then have to go to your parent with something that's not normal and discuss that with them. I couldn't do that with something even remotely that is normal, but I just wouldn't want to talk about. Right. Like, I I had an ear infection. I'm not even bringing that to my parents if I get one. Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, it's like, oh, they don't need to know that. I'm the same way. Finances. Yeah. I won't even discuss finances. Let yeah. alone, yeah, if I'm not willing to talk about, you know, my finances with you, I sure is in this world. And not going to start telling you about the strange addictions that I have or the weird kinks that yeah. I'm into. It's like, well, what did you... 
take home on your last uh, tax return. I don't really <laughs> want to tell that. But, you know, I have been getting into... Well, I've been getting into consuming rubber duckies. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's not like a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who'd you vote for uh, last week? Oh, mom and dad, you know why we don't talk about politics in the house. (laughs) However, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I will tell you that what I've been into is eating marbles recently. No, I like licking marbles. That's what I like to do. I just like to lick marbles. I like thing. it. It's my like thing. It. Better than eating. Yeah, eating marbles would get very treacherous very quickly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Are you actually that way with your family where you don't talk politics? I don't talk politics, finances, nothing. I don't no. talk anything. Sometimes I'll talk philosophical ideas. Yeah. You no, know, because it politics is I don't know. It's a whole bunch of baloney. My, and none of it's true. However, true. I will talk about the concepts. I'll go that yeah. far, but I'm certainly not going any further. You've met my parents and my house growing up and whatnot. Everybody is completely open and blunt, so there was never a filter or anything. If they have a political idea or any idea, really, they will immediately say it. Yeah, people might not know that this show several (laughs) times has been interrupted by random people in Ian's lives entering the household, stumbling downstairs, (laughs) and being like, wait a minute, I need to insert my thoughts on this. Yep. Like several times we've had to pause yeah. this show. To usually let, my dad <laughs> to let a rant go by and then pick the show back up like it never happened. Yeah, that that's just how my family worked, and it's really odd because you'd think in that point then people will get upset about things, but no, because most people in my family have drastically different ideas on most things, but they're all blunt and upfront about it, and none of them really care if you have a drastically different idea. But they, the only time they care is if you're unwilling to talk to them. Because they're like, yeah, I'm spilling my heart out. I'm talking to you. Why? Just tell me your things. They're not going to judge you or anything. But of course, most people are not going to be comfortable with that. Right. I once walked in on Ian's dad having an absolute <laughs> riot on teachers and how they make too much money. Yeah. He was like, they don't even work three months out of the year. And they make a play. And he was just going to town on it. And I was like, all right, let me get in on this. And we, I think we legitimately wasted the whole evening. I don't even know what else we were supposed to be doing. But Ian and I wasted five hours of our lives that we're never getting back. And at the very end of it, nothing was accomplished. No. As most good arguments go. Yeah. We just, let's disagree agreeably. Yeah. I don't even think my family ever cares one way or another if you come to an agreement. They just like getting their thoughts out there or having someone yell their thoughts back. That's just yeah. what they enjoy doing. Yeah, your your family gets a rush out of just, you know, really like a great Friday evening for your dad is to just get into the weeds with somebody on some stuff that he vehemently disagrees with the other guy and yeah. just have a little shout fest and or get vehemen- it all out there. Or even if he agrees, just try to agree harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree more than you agree. I, I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love when your dad tries to out agree That happens. People. That's great. Uh, usually when other people are around and it's not just family at least it's debatable topics but obviously if if you've lived with them for many many years or you know you're close to your family you've heard everything then you have to get the highly heated debates about things nobody would normally debate about <laughs> but because you don't have anything else to talk about yes it becomes things like well these two brands of bread and how they're made <laughs> yes. at the outpost. And the, there's a heated discussion and nobody cares, but 
But it must be debated. <laughs> yeah, we all vehemently must be debated. Do what I like to do sometimes, my partner. Sometimes I'll form an opinion, but I, I don't want to give away all my opinions and yep. all my skills and traits. Because if I give them all away now, 30 years from now, it should be bored yep, of me. Exactly. So every once in a while, I just change my opinion randomly. Whether it be, it might, sometimes it's on miscellaneous things, like how I like my sandwiches made. You know, like provolone. Oh, God, absolutely not. Three <laughs> weeks ago, I was like, whoa, I love provolone. Yep. Why is there provolone on my sandwich? And she looked at me and said, what the hell's wrong with you? You've never liked pro- this is I've, I'm making this example up, dear. If you're listening, you didn't actually do this. But yeah, yeah sometimes I just... Sometimes I just alter my opinions just enough to see if she's paying attention. I don't need to do that because my significant other has such a Isn't horrid memory. <laughs> okay, that's it. She has such a horrid memory. She's not going to remember anyhow. So it is new to her every single time. It's like 31st dates or whatever. 51st dates was the it, name of exactly. that movie. Just, uh, I don't know. You're, you're talking the one where amnesia every morning. So you yes. had to redo it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what the movie is. I don't think I've ever seen it. I know the premise though. But yeah, yeah, similar to that. It's an Adam Sandler film, as I recall. Yeah, one of yeah. his 150. Yeah, listen, that guy, talk about a run, though. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah. He had a good one. Something that I do look back on, if you're ever just around and inebriated, if you get drunk or something, old Adam Sandler films, like from the 90s, hold up surprisingly well for really dumb humor. It's like Jim Carrey. Yeah. You could still go back through Jim Carrey's catalog and be like, whoa, this is out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. And I don't even, and it's something I wouldn't normally watch because Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, I don't actually like their over-the-top stuff like Ace Ventura. I, I, I wouldn't normally watch. I like Jim Carrey, I actually really think is a good actor. So when he does things that aren't Jim Carrey, I like, but yeah, I, I don't like over-the-top dumb humor. But yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you get a hankering and they just work. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I really am interested in recently is this ad read. This episode of A Gentleman's Chat is brought to you by Into the AM. Into the AM is your one-stop shop for elevated everyday apparel. Their unique designs, high-quality fabrics, and affordable prices make them the best place to shop for all of your apparel needs. So... Go to IntoTheAM.com and use coupon code ASCENSION to get 10% off your purchase. So what are you waiting for? It's time to bring your fashion game to the next level with Into the AM. Speaking of films, I saw Oppenheimer last night. And I don't know if you're interested in seeing the movie or not. You're generally not a movie-going fella. I won't be, but I'm down for movie reviews. Okay, well, here's my review of it. It blew my mind. It was honest to goodness, so I, I drug my, my better half along to it, against her will, kind of, because I didn't want to go by myself. Well, that's not really true. It's very complicated. It's not the type of movie she would want to see, but she would she was willing to see it because I wanted to see it. Yeah. Very excited to see this movie. I've been waiting a year and a half to watch it since they announced it. It was so good. So, so good. And we were talking earlier about like paradoxical thoughts, and the story of Oppenheimer the human is such a paradoxical thought because he was a very, very smart man that did something despite the fact that he had like moral issues with what he was doing and then tried to use his thought, like his success after that to be like, Hey, we should maybe think about how we're doing this. And it was an So cinematically, obviously Christopher Nolan does yeah. great work. You know, never, never had a bad movie. Never had a bad movie. This dude hits nothing but homers. 
grand slams every time he goes out. It, so it was really, really good. But the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer is so fascinating to me because when they built that bomb, they didn't. There, there was a, a leading theory that if they started that chain reaction, it might just consume the atmosphere. Yep. Like when they did the Trinity test, there was a small chance that the whole world just goes up. Yeah. And they push the button anyways. Yeah. And that, I think, is such an untold... Like, that is the biggest moment of the 20th century by far. We went to the moon, we airplanes, all the things that we did in the 20th century. Nothing is as wild as that little factoid. People really don't consider the fact that, like, before the arms race took place with Russia, right? The Cold War, which was really like our scientific improvement when we finally put a guy on the moon, when we were able yep. the, the hydrogen bomb, all these things. Like, this was such an uncharted territory. This idea of fission versus fusion. Like, only a couple years earlier were they able to actually split the atom. And the very first thing we thought to do, obviously, is like, well, this is going to be a bomb. Yeah. So it was just such a <laughs> – it's such an interesting story and such a well-made movie. I will mention this to you. It's rated R, and I only learned that just before going to see it, and I didn't know why it was rated R. Mm. And it's rated R for a very good reason. It is It is. It is rated R. Yeah. It really is. Don't bring your 12-year-old to this movie, right? Um, but really fantastic. Okay. Fantastic movie. I highly recommend you see it. I think you'd enjoy it. I probably would. I'm definitely the type of person that unless significant other wants to go see, I'll probably wait till it releases releases. Yeah. Um, I have a nice setup here anyhow for watching movies. So yeah, that well, works. you could go see the Barbie movie if you're really, you know, no, I have no interest. Dude, I rolled up to the movie theater yesterday to watch Oppenheimer and the place was packed there was legitimately at the theater that's closest to us yep. you know how big it is yep. there was no parking spaces oh dang people were parking at the like the store across the street at the at the grocery store mm-hmm. across the street that was so packed and it was nothing but people wearing pink shirts that had Barbie on them and their outfits, and they were dressed up, and the whole left wing of the movie theater was playing nothing okay. but the Barbie I was movie. just going to ask how many screens of each were there showing. Was a, yeah, there was, uh, I think, four or five of Oppenheimer, and like it had to have been seven of Barbie. At least, yeah. I mean, it had to have been. It was bananas. Yeah, that's, that's about right. So you could go see that with your pink shirt. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think I will. I... <laughs> I might be just too old now or don't or not old enough to understand anything about the Barbie movie. I do not understand why it blew up like it did. I don't understand why people want to go see it. I don't understand anything about it. From the previews I have seen, it looks like a C-rank Hallmark movie that's like <laughs> daytime TV, but... Nothing like that you would go and watch in a theater. Yeah, it's interesting because like two years ago, people were calling for the death of the movie theater, right? Yeah. The movie got with Netflix and all these streaming platforms. Like the idea of going to a movie is not going to be a thing anymore. We're phasing it out. Like it's it's passe. And I was at the movie theater yesterday. I have never seen so many people excited to go 
sit in a theater with other people and experience a movie. For a live-action Barbie movie. Yes. Of all things, to bring people to a movie theater, a live-action Barbie. I don't get it. Blows my mind. Uh, do you know why pe- people like the Barbie movie? Have you seen any reviews or anything? I, I don't understand. No. No, but no. I know it had a it had the biggest box office of anything that came out in the past couple months. Like It did like $300 million or something bananas on its opening weekend. I don't like that. It's crazy. It is just absolutely out of this world. I was okay with the awful CGI of the classic Barbie movies from the early 2000s where they were all musicals and they were all the exact same CGI animation style. Those were fine and those felt like Barbie. Everything I've seen looks like kind of a Legally Blonde or She's All That kind of ripoff or carbon copy. Yeah, I don't actually know the plot line to this movie, although I, as best I've gathered, I think it's basically like Barbie becomes self-aware that she's a human and that her life isn't perfect anymore. You know, she has some human struggles she has to deal with and Ryan Gosling's to be there is like, it's like her (laughs) hot doctor. I don't really know what's going on there. I don't know why he's in the movie. Because it's Ryan Gosling. Yeah, yeah, I guess. He's Ken. So yeah. Barbie Once and again, Ken if there's s- a Hallmark movie, Ryan Gosling. Listen, <laughs> if it's anything like real life, if Barbie becomes self-aware, I want to see a scene of her and Ken sitting on a dinner table at night when the kids go to bed trying to do their freaking checkbook. That's what I want to see. I want to see them, how are we going to pay these bills, Barbie? Well, I don't know. I, I just bought 15 pairs of shoes. Like that's I want to see that. That is real life, okay? That is a self-aware Barbie. Do you think she actually became self-aware in terms of, is this like fourth wall, like a Deadpool character? Is it a ha-ha funny? Or is it I'm self-aware, everything's depressing kind of movie? Because yeah. I don't know why anybody would want to see that. I have literally no idea. However, that has never stopped me from forming a hardline stance. So let me tell you all about the Barbie movie. I know for a fact that it is, you know, Barbie is used to living this perfect life, sort of like Tinkerbell, right? And then her life is no longer perfect. She needs to grapple with the fact that sometimes life isn't great, but Anne, you know that... Gee golly, sometimes when life isn't the best, that's when you find the best of life. I hate slogans like that, but you're right. That sounds exactly like something someone would actually say there. And I think that that made $300 million over the last five days. I should be a film producer. You should be. Or like a screenwriter. Yeah, you'd be great at it. I would. I I would tell amazing stories that nobody in Hollywood would take. Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) Because I wouldn't sell my soul to them. You'd have a screenplay written for, you know. I would see, this is the thing. I don't know what kind of style you would write in. Like, part of me thinks you would go, like, dark humor or, like, you know, a little bit of a scary, maybe, something like that. Like, you'd go horror side. Or, actually, I think you would be really good, like, just not horror, but unsettling. Like a thriller? Yeah, I think you thrillers could write a, are, do tend to be one of my favorite. I think you could write a very unsettling thriller. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be you. Okay, I'll I'll write something up. We'll draft it. Yeah. We'll get back to a gentleman's chat. We'll see how that is. I had a friend of mine that was convinced on making a movie when we were teenagers. He had the script sort of laid out, plot really no script, 
Uh, and he was like, you know, we're going to get these cameras and we're going to film. He had filming locations picked out, scouted. He knew exactly, like storyboarded the thing. I knew exactly how he was going to do it. And he never did it. Hmm. And that's the end of my story. That's sad. I think we could do it. And because most thrillers kind of focus on one or two things throughout all time, we could probably find quite a few different ideas or topics for a thriller that aren't really elaborated but would hit really well. I saw an ad for a, a horror... It's a horror film. I didn't even yeah. watch the whole preview in the theater. I turned away. It was so deeply unsettling to me. It was... And I don't know if anyone knows the name of this movie because I never caught the name of the movie because I wasn't looking at it. Uh, email us at a gentleman's chat at gmail.com and then I, I'll know what not to watch when it comes out in theaters. But it was basically this movie about these two girls that are best friends... They go off to school or something, and they get kidnapped. And they come back. They're found, thank goodness. And they're getting examined at the doctor's office. And the dad's like, oh, my goodness, you know, Mackenzie, whatever her name is. You know, do you know how long you've been gone? She said, well, I've only been gone a couple hours. No, you've been gone three days, dear. And it turns out that these two girls are possessed. That's what they are. Ah, classic. And there is a scene in this trailer where there's a... They're in a church, and the pastor says something about the body and the blood. And this little girl walks in the back of the church wearing a dress drenched in blood, saying the body and the blood, whispering it, and sounding like her eyes are rolled in the back of her mm-hmm. head. And I, I knew immediately when I saw that scene, this is not what I need to be watching right now. Yeah. I would much rather watch the atomic bomb go off than to watch any more of this. That seems like one of the classic tropey done a million times type thing yes if i'm doing a thriller i would want because the point of a thriller is not is different than a horror which is why i like it because a thriller builds up intensity or different feelings of emotions you wouldn't normally feel on a day-to-day and builds on it so you can't really get that release where so ian wants to tease his audience well something something like that like there wouldn't be an actual monster ideas that I don't see a lot that I I would personally find really interesting and see how it, people would react would be nothing supernatural or scary or horror but we follow the life of an average individual that could fill the shoes of anybody so they can put themselves in the place of that. Jeff from Costco. Yeah, exactly. Jeff from Costco. And through no fault of their own, their life gradually and gradually gets worse but uh, the hidden kind of worse where they're still holding on. Like there's a big fall and you know it's coming. Things, simple things like a debt payment that you keep rolling over and you don't have to worry about that. Or like your relationships are falling apart, but you have a false sense of security based on it. And you have that as an audience member, you can follow this person and everybody knows what's coming you have that building anxiety of what's going to happen when their life falls apart what's going on but then what builds that is you have the snap back to reality that in reality most of the time things will either turn up all right or a lot of the monsters people fear never come true so throughout the movie we see a whole bunch of circumstances that make people on edge and oh this is going to be awful but it never happens so you're just telling the story of job from the Bible. Similar. A yeah. man that had a terrible go. No, 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 no. 
See that that's the difference. But not a terrible they goal. don't a have a series terrible of goal. misfortunate events. No, no, that no, no. We no. can't quite point to so why. Nothing bad ever actually ends up happening. That's the key. Oh, I see. Because uh key with most good horror, if you think about even classic horror or thrillers, the greatest monster is the one in the audience mind that you'll never be able to make up for. As soon as you show a monster, as soon as it's revealed, or as soon as something's known about it, that breaks all the tension because then everybody knows what it is. Mm. So if you take a concept, like the the fear of failure at, in this movie or whatnot, you build up a whole bunch of points that show this person's going to lose their job. This person's going to ruin their family with like their abusive behavior or their drinking or something. Th- these things are all going to culminate. It's going to be awful. But then it doesn't happen. Because then as an audience member, you have that anxiousness, but you don't have a release because nothing ever happens. It's like, oh, life just keeps going on. So you're going to tell the story of your life. People are going to walk out and be (laughs) completely dissatisfied like Ian is. No, not at all. It wouldn't be dissatisfying. And obviously there'd be ways to build tension that is outside the norm because you can't have a thriller be, well, at the office, they keep filing bad reports and their boss is thinking about firing them. That's not really thriller enough. You need some sort of hook. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, don't give away all your good ideas. You never know. You might yeah. get this one greenlit. That one's more of a concept. So if someone thinks they can write it better than I can, go for it. And we'll take 10% royalties paid to a gentleman's chat. <laughs> see, uh, see how I conscripted your money just then? Yeah, yeah that'll idea, work. Your idea, but I'll, that'll take work. A, I'll take a little. If someone money. else does it, I wouldn't even need anything i want a free ticket to see it that's what i want yeah that that would be nice just yeah. free free imax seats on yeah. opening we night we don't even have an imax near us yeah we do do we yeah like the a... theater you went to has two imax is it really things. yes you didn't know this <laughs> all of that brand all marcus theaters have at least two do they wait so but are they like the nice ones yeah the giant ones i always the... th- so okay Here's why I'm perplexed. <laughs> Back to Oppenheimer, folks. They shot it on like 70 mil or 75 mil IMAX film. Yep. And it's on real film. And in my head, and when they were like, you know, doing the promos for it, there's only a handful of theaters in the world that like will actually take the 70 mil reel and play it. And, you know, because it's, it's that IMAX. Okay, great. Does the theater near us do that? Or are they still, like, kind of cheating? There's no way they got all 11 miles of film in, stitched it together, and are playing it in our little podunk town. No chance. I do not know that. I don't know one way or another. I don't go see movies, so I don't know what our theater does. To be fair, calling our town of our area, like, 300,000-some people is a little bit... <laughs> funny when you say pod. I mean, considering that we're talking about 70 mil IMAX, only a few people in the world have it. Well, yes. As far as what ours has specifically, I couldn't say. Because I don't go see movies. If you want, we could always take a trip and go bother the, you know, minimum wage workers who will have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's good popcorn. By the way... <laughs> <laughs> Show to the front desk. So, what movie do you want to see? I don't want to see a movie. I want to know about that IMAX screen. <laughs> Can you give me some information about that? Can you get your manager over here? 
Yeah. Sally walks over. What make film a, do you use? What projector model do you use? And how yeah. do you keep it in tune? What lamps do you have? Yeah. Yeah. Sally walks over. 35, making 14 bucks an hour. Hey, Sally. Yeah. I just talked to Tristan over there. I'm trying to figure out... Uh, let me know about Zymax thing. Tell me about it. Or we'll make a big best-selling hit of um, one of my films. But the ca- caveat is it can only be scene i'll only give the rights to theaters that do the full <laughs> 75 mil imax film you know i'll be genius i think would be even better is if you did it strictly this movie must be played on regular 30 mil film with one of them hand projectors from the 1900s that would be pretty great just gotta crank that thing and some poor yeah. bugger in the back of the room you know, and then i'll the one I do that for, I'll make like a high fantasy type adventure. That way it can drag out like the Lord of the Rings and make it super long. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like this hand cranked movie is four hours long. <laughs> Dude, I learned Oppenheimer was three hours and nine seconds. It felt like an hour and a half to watch it. It yeah. really did. It moved very Good nicely. movies do have that flow to him. But I learned that Christopher Nolan. So obviously when you're as like popular and as famous as he is. He called up Kodak and like, hey, yep. uh, we got to shoot some black and white scenes and you don't make 70 mil film for that. Can you make some? Like, can you invent it for me real yeah. quick? And they're like, yeah, we'd love to. Right? <laughs> That's just stuff that he does. Yeah, I, I do love that when you have that sort of backing. But I guess that these IMAX projectors, the ones that play the actual yep. film as they're supposed to have, which by the way, the audio is still just piped in because 70 mil IMAX doesn't have audio yeah, indications on the outside of the film like some you know, other styles of film do. Yep. It's still just a CD. Uh, that's not important though. What is important is this: is uh, apparently the plates that they put all this projected film on are of a certain size, right? Because they have to turn. Yep. And I guess IMAX, the company, had to make bigger platters for Interstellar, right? Because Christopher Nolan made Interstellar yep. on IMAX, and they're like, "Well, our platters don't fit this two-hour and forty-four-minute film." Yeah. So we're gonna need to do something about that. And then he rocked up like, "Hey, by the way." This is three hours, nine seconds. What can we do about that? So IMAX had to reinvent their little trays so they can hold all the film on it. Something like 500 pounds of film or whatever, ridiculous, and 300 pounds, something stupid. I like it. Do you know how ridiculously revered you need to be as a creator of anything to call up people like Kodak or IMAX and be like, hey, so I'm making a film. And it doesn't fit your parameters. Can you fix your parameters so my film fits on yeah. your thing? Because normally, there's a lot of movie makers in this world, and a lot of very famous ones. I don't think if Martin Scorsese called up, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we could do that for you. Yeah, you're you're thinking like your Nolans or like your Tarantino would probably be able to get that. Or um, Cameron probably would be able to, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, there's very few guys yeah. that can call up being like, hey, Kodak, I know that you haven't invented a thing, but I really want to see this in black and white. So pretty, pretty, please, can you invent it? That has to do with confidence because for a company to know that, they have to know, they have to have the confidence to know that your movie or your film that uh, you're going to make will make back that money and then some. So you get your investment worth. Yeah. And I guess when you're calling a guy who's hit nothing but grand slams. That's true. Yeah. Like, that's money in the bank. What was that? You want us to make a quarter million dollars? Yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> that's a quarter true. billion dollars, I should say. I would love that. 
I wonder if he walks into Sony Pictures and they just bow for him. Like, oh, yes, Sire Nolan. What? What? He walks into Universal Studios. Oh, yes, Sire. What prophecy do you have for us today? I don't know much about Nolan, but based on his films alone, he strikes me as kind of the guy that doesn't like to go to places like that. Like, he'll just be at his own place. Yeah, I learned he doesn't have a cell phone. Yeah, that's Because if he wants to talk to you, he'll show up at your door. I like that. Which I think is, first of all, like, that's kind of a, that's kind of a director. Like, that, that's a guy that's yeah. got something going on, right? Which is cool. Um, but you also need to be stupidly famous. Yeah. To know the address and it'd be totally okay for you to knock on Hans Zimmer's door <laughs> at yeah. three in the afternoon. Like, hey, uh, uh, Christopher Nolan's here to see you. Yeah. Oh, Or yeah. any actor you want. I yeah. can see that when he's filming for, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. Just walk up. Knock on Christian Bale. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Um, I have a movie coming up, and I think you'd be great for it. You want to come down with me? So they cast Killian Murphy as the lead in Oppenheimer. And as you know, Killian Murphy yep. was in the running to be Batman. Yep. And got beat out, but he was still a villain in Batman. So him and Nolan have been, I guess, friends ever since. And I saw, I don't know why. YouTube recommended really gives me into these rabbit holes. But I saw one of the interviews that Killian gave, and he was basically like, yeah, so... Uh, Christopher Nolan flew to town and he rented a hotel room and he invited me over and he gave me the script and he said, I'm going out for a couple hours and he left. And then he showed back up a couple hours. Later. Apparently Christopher Nolan just went and saw the town and then came back a couple hours later. Like, so do you want to do this movie or not? Do you know how baller you need to be? be like, Hey, I'm in town. I got a hotel room. Yep. Room 408. Come on by. Show up at one o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, I got the script for a movie I want you to read. Oh, and by the way, I got a one thirty over across town. Yeah. See you later, bud. <laughs> what is your one thirty? I don't know. I heard you guys have good Costco's here. It's gonna go walk yeah. around. I'm gonna go see the art museum. I think it might be interesting. Yeah. yeah, that blows my mind, dude. Yeah. Blows my mind. Sounds like a swell guy. Yeah. You do have to have some a lot of not class, but upper echelon of society like elitism i don't know what you would describe to live your life that way yeah you gotta have a very select view of how you want to live your life even not having a cell phone well i mean and i guess that kind of makes sense you know if his whole thing is like i'm gonna find these interesting stories and tell them like i can't imagine how intensive his filmmaking process is because for a guy that hits only grand slams like He's got to put a lot oh, yeah. of time, effort, thought, soul into this thing. That's probably why he's so confident, because by the time he gets a script, he's like, you going to do this or not? One way or another, I'll make it work. So Yeah, I mean, he's only made like 10 movies in the past 20 years. 20 years, yeah. Or more, 25 years maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure when his first one came out. Like, if you think about some of the famous directors, you know, the Martin Scorsese's, yep. James Cameron's, like... Seven films in 20 years really isn't a very good batting average. No, especially if they're not all big. Right. Yeah, I mean, at at any rate, I'll digress on this because I'm sure this is very great audio for people in in their cars. You want to be a director? Not at all. No? No, absolutely not. If I'm going to be a screenwriter, I need a director. I have a hard enough time being a composer, dude. Yeah? Yes. Would you compose films I made then? No, I'll compose the music for them, though. Okay. 
I I always struggle being like labeling myself as a composer. I actually was, I did an interview not that long ago, and somebody asked me, "So, how do you view yourself?" I was like, "Wow, this is such a really deep question." I'm Billy. I'm hey. <laughs> so basically, what I told him is that if you read my bio, it says American music educator on it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think of myself as a composer, but some people that only know me as a composer think that I must just sit off in a dark room for months on end. Oh, yeah. It's sort of interesting because... They think of, like, Beethoven, you're hunched over with a quill right, and ink. Right, Sometimes, like, even when my own groups premiere my works, it's sort of this interesting thing where they don't know how the sauce is made, but they know every once in a while I just show up and these little black dots are written on these five lines and four spaces. Yep. And for some reason, it it's, like, meaningful. Mm-hmm. I wrote a piece when I was over in Europe a few weeks ago... It was a version of Isaiah's 43, I Cried Out. And it's re- I wrote it, it's called A Voice Cries. And I got so much positive feedback on this piece from stuff that, that people are like, it touched me, like it brought me to tears. Which is funny because it's the only piece I've written in the past two years that I'm purposely not seeking publication on. I guess Ooh, my best yeah, work. Yeah. Uh, but it's sort of interesting because they were telling me this. and I, I So somebody asked me, how did I write it? And I had to tell them the story of, of how I wrote the piece. And it was very difficult and sort of intrinsic and really meaningful. But it was interesting because like, it's like how the, it's, a lo- it's a lot like how the sausage is made. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting thing. So, no, I would not be a director for that reason. Okay. Fine. I'll write it and direct it. Hey, you know what? Screw- I'll star in it. You'll star in it? I'll have to give you a good role. I'll be a, a janitor number four if you want. Yeah. Part of... How would you be fine with dying off early? Oh, absolutely. Because especially if it's more of like an action film, something that I personally like about more traditional movies is they're grounded enough to be more inviting and like you can understand this is a real world. That's a big problem I have with the Marvel formula where you can tell it's not a real world Mm. with all these people and whatnot. Right. Whereas things that I do like that would be grounded. You're like the star of the movie will advertise you as the star of the movie and you go in, but like real life, like a standard action movie, you're surrounded by eight guys with guns and we have the cool scene of you taking out two of them and then getting gunned down because (laughs) you're a person. (laughs) And then it completely pivots to someone else's perspective or whatnot. And the story continues. Listen, I'll have you know that my acting contract uh, actually has a time uh, clause in it. Yeah. How much time I need to be in the movie. And it's no more than 60 viewing seconds. <laughs> well, there you go. You I have want, the opening action shot. You get gunned. <laughs> I want to be the guy, you know, black screen, intense music, cut to me running in the woods at night. <laughs> I trip over something and I get absolutely gunned <laughs> down. I die right there, fade to white, cut away to the next scene. But then people don't get to know Billy. Like, you can't do it in the opening scene. It has to be darn near, like, two-thirds of the way through, and you're clearly the main character, so nobody suspects, like, this is the main action hero. There's nothing bad going to happen. He's the hero of the movie. He's on the cover. And then just completely arbitrarily, in, like, an unceremonious way, you make a mistake or something, and you just die naturally from, like, a normal henchman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's no, like, no, oh, I, I just get okay. into a car accident driving to the next scene and I just die That'd on the That'd be highway. genius. I wonder how people would think about that. They would be pissed. 
they would be pissed, but it'd be so much more like ingraining into the thing. Like you just watch this guy's life and you're like, he's invincible. He's not. And then just tree. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, people aren't invincible here. This is like, this is real. <laughs> Do I tell you what? I guarantee that really ruffles some feathers in the seats. Yeah. Like people are going to be like, Whoa, this they're, they're definitely going to That's say right. out loud. Whoa. It might be followed by some other four letter words. Yeah. No, no, no. No publicity is bad publicity. And I feel like if you make enough waves, especially, obviously, listeners of Gentleman's Chat, uh, for us, when this movie gets made down a couple years, many years, down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Several years. Yeah, we're on uh, day one of (laughs) Grand Overview. Um, (laughs) You'll be the only one to know this twist, so try to keep it to yourselves. We'll keep like one of those very tight-knit crews where we don't let leaks go. So nobody knows it, and no one will see it coming till opening we'll weekend. Filming only at night in the woods of <laughs> Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to come up with the rest of the movie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually think what we should do right now is we should start renting locations and gear and hiring people, <laughs> and then that'll really put us in a pressure cooker to make that coal into diamonds. You yeah. know, it's gonna really give us the juice we need because nothing makes you write better than a deadline. No, not even a deadline. Another thing I would love that would almost certainly work horribly because nobody would want to work for it. Have a very rough idea of what you're doing. But then as you're filming, just give like little natural suggestions. It's like, yeah, let's go like this at this part of the story. And you guys just play out how you would do it. And they're like, well, what's the scene? Oh, well, whatever you want. (laughs) I have the perfect person to star in this. David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> yes, the Hasselhoff. I, I want the Hoff in my movie. <laughs> he works cheap. He has to, right? The dude's like 70. Baywatch is long gone. If we're making some of these more artsy and off-the-cuff, like not Hollywood-esque run-of-the-mill that they know they're going to make money, we'll probably not be able to make big polls of actors, no matter how good it is. So we're going to have to get something like Hasselhoff or... Like a Nick Cage, because he'll work for anyone. Yeah, I'll he off- probably would. He because that's been known to happen. We'll get actors like that, where Nick Cage will. If you send him a good script and you talk to him, it does not matter if you are a twelve-year-old writing in crayon. If he's like, I really like this. You have me, and that's just what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually saw an interview with him recently, because and the interviewer asked about his debts. Right? Yeah. You know, you've been starring a lot of movies because you've had all that debt. He's like, yeah, I mean, that's all been cleared up now, which obviously means that he made that $50 million back or whatever. Oh, yeah. But it, he was, they were sort of talking about, like, I really love this art form for this art form. Yep. But to what you're saying, you know what? The Hoff and Nick Cage together star yes. in a movie together. This has got to go gangbusters. That would be pretty nice. people over 40. It'd be great. They're the ones that make the money anyways. That is true. Listen, they'll show They're the ones it, buying the family tickets. They'll show it in geriatric centers across this nation. I don't think I'd be able to make a family movie, though. There's zero chance that it wouldn't be PG-13 at best. Most likely R. Dude, we'll take but R. Not even, not even for, like, graphic. But usually the best stories, the most realistic stories, have some themes that would not be appropriate for, like, PG-13. Like life does. Life is rated R. Life is rated R. And with that... Episode 94 of A Gentleman's Chat with your hosts Ian and Billy.